turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. Welcome to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. This is your hour when Orlando Magic Senior Vice President Pat Williams sits down and speaks with authors who have written books on topics of interest and insight for listeners like you. And now, here's your host, Pat Williams. Welcome again, folks, to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour right here on AM 990 and FM 101.5. The Word in Orlando. We're always so pleased when you join us. So is Pete Paquette. He does our engineering. Andrew Herdliska uh, does the producing. And David Slyker is going to do our speaking. He's our first guest, executive leader at the International House of Prayer Missions based in Kansas City. His book is out, The Triumph of Beauty, God's radiant answer for the world's growing darkness. David, uh, you're uh, warmly welcomed here in Orlando. How are you? Very good. Thank you. I so appreciate the warm welcome. What is the uh, book about? Well, the, the book is about two things. It's about, currently, my desire to reshape the conversation around the church, the body of Christ, uh, to have it on Jesus' terms more than what our eyes see in our current context or people's own complaints or even their own experiences. I want to see if we can get back to the Word of God, the heart of Jesus for, for the Church, and have our conversations about the Church from His perspective, which is His joy and delight that He takes in the Church, and then the Church's destiny in the days to come, the, the near future, I believe which is a, a glorious future in, from the Lord's perspective. David, you open your book with a chapter called Beauty That Reorients Our Life. Uh, what are you writing there? Well, the, the thing that I find great about God's leadership is the way in which he uses beauty to awaken cold hearts, uh, our hearts that are often kind of dull or lethargic or you know, just sluggish, just uh, where we uh, where we often don't want to be in our relationship with the Lord, or even the lost, just the way in which the Lord designed us to be captured by beauty. And it's so kind that we're moved by natural beauty, but then beyond that, His own beauty that awakens us, that stirs us, um, something to kind of get us out of our own self-absorption and our own kind of way, the way that we think about our problems, the stresses, the Lord just has a way of capturing us with himself and taking us out of that in a way that's so helpful to us. And so the first chapter really is about how the Lord gets us out of ourselves into his definitions of beauty so that we're moved by those things and then moved into a deeper relationship with him. 
David, explain to us beauty that redefines success and greatness. Well, the uh, the thing that we tend to, you know, think about, care about, what makes us feel like we had a good day when we go to bed at night, it's uh, they're built around society's definitions of achievement, the the world's definition of the things that matter, and. Beauty isn't necessarily something that we want to put at the center of our life, but when the Lord begins to turn us or reorient us from the world's definition of what's beautiful, what 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 matters, what the things that are important, and we begin to orient ourselves around the beauty of the first and great commandment, the beauty of being loved by God and loving God with our whole heart, loving our neighbor as ourselves. And then the, the way in which the Lord redefines success around love and the way in which our heart is beautified by his love, when that becomes our plumb line and that becomes our anchor for success, we end up in, a, in an entirely new and glorious way to do life with Jesus. Because now we're successful the moment we get up in the morning. And we're operating and we're doing life from that place of, this is how you feel about me, and this is who I am to you, and this is why I'm valuable. This is my worth in you. And so finding our beauty, our worth in the affections of Jesus redefines and opens our heart in the way that we care for others and the way that we serve others. We're just, we're not as driven to to be in the race that the rest of the world's in. Now, uh, I want you to talk to us about God calls the weak ones beautiful. What does that mean? Well, it's the, it's the beauty of the gospel in that uh, he finds us as we are, and he loves us there. I just, I've been in youth and young adult ministry. Uh, right now, I lead our, our ministry school here in Kansas City. And young men, young women, they have this, you know, as was said many years ago, quiet lives of desperation, this interior torment, this drivenness related to their sense of self. And, uh, and so then when they enter into Christianity and the beauty of the gospel, they're loved. At the point of salvation, in their worst moment, they're loved. But they, they tend to want to live for Jesus in, a, in the same kind of driven way that they were approaching life before, and they can't find satisfaction in their own achievements, their own spirituality. They measure their lives by their spiritual attainments. And, uh, and the truth that changes everything is the way in which God feels for the weak, for the broken, how he genuinely enjoys us in our immaturity, how he genuinely enjoys us and, and isn't troubled by our weakness, but has just amazing patience. The, the New Testament talks continually about long-suffering, and that the, that long-suffering of Christ would, would actually infuse itself into our own way of evaluating ourselves, evaluating our spiritual successes, that we would be evaluated on God's terms, which are far more filled with kindness and mercy and tenderness in our weakness and in our brokenness. And I find as we can actually begin to agree with Jesus related to how he feels about us and our brokenness, our weakness, I find that it changes the way we approach obedience and the way in which we approach obedience to his commands. We 
we're not trying to present ourselves to him as perfectly obedient. We're reaching for obedience by grace, and we're reaching just surrounded by his approval, his affection, and his delight. And so to know that he delights in me and my weakness, what I've seen in young people is it it stabilizes their heart. It stabilizes their life. And and, and uh, it's the stability that we need. I mean, it it is God's weapon against our insecurity. And so to to engage our Christian faith from that place of interior stability, I find that changes everything in terms of how we approach our jobs, how we approach our families, how we approach our marriages. We, we recognize that we're not going to be great at marriage day one, but from that place of newfound stability and interior confidence that comes from being loved by Jesus, it changes the way that I am as a husband and as a father and as a leader. And so, uh, so I find that truth to be critical in the gospel, causing our hearts to grow in beauty and and in uh, wonder and thanksgiving, gratitude to the Lord. It is a critical element of our faith, our diet in the faith, to say it like that. But, uh, but I find that it's often neglected. My guest is David Slyker. He's in Kansas City. We're talking about his book, The Triumph of Beauty. How about this one, David? When the brokenness of others fails us. Uh, expand on that. Well, I... I uh, I find that because we we lack in our, our spiritual diet on what we just talked about, how God feels about us and our weakness, I find that churches around America that I've traveled around are filled with people that have a low tolerance for the weakness of others. And so you find, I mean, one of the hardest jobs right now in America, in my opinion, is the senior pastor of the local church. Because there's such a low tolerance for weakness. There's such a low tolerance for people's failure. It's like people attend church waiting for the person next to them to let them down, to fail them. And then that, that, um, that expectation is fulfilled because people are unavoidably disappointed in their humanity. And so they, they're on to the next church, or they're on to the next thing, or, or finally they're just unchurched. And their story is how they were failed by the church or how they were failed by Christians. And, uh, and again, I find that, that that truth of the gospel, that God enjoys me, that God delights in me, that God, God actually likes me. He doesn't just put up with me because he loves me. He doesn't just tolerate me. But I find that the generous heart of Jesus that is invested and loyal and fully given in our friendship, as, as I engage with him, I'm engaging with the God-man who is fully given without holding anything back in loving me. And he's patient with me through my weakness. And I find that as that kind of quality of love, that kind of beauty is imparted into my own heart, I find that I grow in my ability to bear with others. Which again, the New Testament is filled with that command about how we bear with one another, how we're patient with one another, the patience of Christ, 2 Thessalonians 3. That, that we would have patience and long-suffering with joy, Colossians 1.11, that kind of beautifying of our hearts happens as we're loved by Jesus through our weakness, our sin, our brokenness. But, uh, but again, it, it grows us into a tolerance, more than a tolerance, an actual loyal engagement with others in their weakness 
and we're now more prone to bear with and not be disillusioned by. I mean, how many have you talked to over the years that are that are hurt by the church, but you can't get them to do a healthy Matthew 18, oh, let's work this through. They just want to, they want to quit, and they want to quit on one another. And, uh, and I believe that there's grace in this season to not quit on the church, not quit on the weak, to not quit on the broken, to not, and in, in even more intense cases, to quit even in really difficult situations of, of mistreatment and mishandled, being mishandled by leadership. I believe that there's grace to find our way in that, to reconciliation, but we, but we need to go through that process of, of receiving the love of the Lord that way for ourselves so that we can begin to bear along with others. And again, I, I find it to be such a critical need right now in the body of Christ across America. Now, uh, David, let's get to the topic called From Brokenness to Beauty. How does that happen? Well, the, the, uh, that chapter that you're highlighting that would be new for a lot of folks, because what I do is, is uh, do a quick journey through the Song of Solomon, which has been so powerful for my own life. And it's uh, the reason I love the Song of Solomon is because it, it's the picture of what Romans, the Book of Romans, talks about, that journey of grace. But it, but it gives uh, real concrete pictures of what it looks like to grow in grace when we start in immaturity, when we start in weakness, because the, the main character in the love song of Solomon is immature. She's broken. She's compromising. And she's restored very quickly by co- connecting with the affections of the bridegroom of Jesus, who tells her how he feels about her, even in her compromise. And it stabilizes her, just as I spoke about earlier. But then she, in, in the end of chapter two, compromises again because of fear her fear of failure, which is so common to so many listeners, that fear of failure, I just, I want to play it safe. I don't want to risk. I don't want to go where Jesus is asking me to go. I just kind of want to build my safe little life. And, uh, and that's an area of compromise. The Lord wants to love us through it. And so the way that the Lord loves us through our fears, the way that he loves us through our immaturity, what he says about us in those seasons, I find those those passages to be so powerful, to connect with what we so rarely know. The, the, how does Jesus feel about me? What's he thinking right now after my compromise, after my failure? I, I know in the general sense what Jesus thinks about Christians, but when I'm failing and when I'm afraid, what is he thinking about me, and how does he lead me? And I find the, with the more that young believers, older saints, can connect with the details of how Jesus leads us and what he's thinking about us specifically in those moments of our life, I find that we go from brokenness to confidence. And I call it brokenness to beauty because, because that love for Jesus that's produced through those kinds of seasons as we engage with the thoughts of Jesus, the truth of the Word, I find the kind of love that's produced through those seasons by grace it's beautiful. It's the love that Jesus died for, and it's the love that he wants to, to pull out of us, to use that language, but he pulls it out of us through his kindness and his extravagance in the way that he talks about us. There's so many beautiful truths in the Scripture that connect us to his thoughts, 
We just haven't given time to them. And I just find that a little bit of time to connect to, again, it's those specific thoughts in those specific moments in our life. We need it most. We need to know, God, what are you thinking about me right now? And I find that as we connect to that in the Word, it just changes everything. It it really produces something in us. Romans 5, verses 1 through 5. Even tribulation, even trial, even trouble produces in us something beautiful. It produces hope. It produces a hope that does not disappoint. It, it's the love of Jesus poured on our lives, Romans 5, 5, by the Holy Spirit, that love of Jesus that washes us and renews us and transforms us, even in the place of trials and difficulties. David Slyker is our guest. He's in Kansas City. We've got more with David talking about his book, The Triumph of Beauty. You're listening to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's AM 990, FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. We'll be right back. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Now, here's Pat. David Slyker is in Kansas City. He's our guest uh, talking about his book, The Triumph of Beauty. In that first segment, we were talking about uh, part one of the book, Our Journey into God's Beauty. Part two, Beauty Overcomes Darkness. And you lead off in that second part, David, with a, a topic called the rejection of God's beauty. Uh, tell us more. Well, the, uh, the we are on right now in an unavoidable collision course with a world that has rejected the Lord. And I think we can see that in society. We can see that in government and politics, uh, in you know, popular entertainment. The world's rejection of the Lord is, is quite intense, but, uh, but there's a, a greater rejection yet to come. As, as the Lord begins to beautify His Church, and the Church looks more like Jesus, the, 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 the rejection of the world, of the beauty, it's going to be—I think it's going to be surprising. I think we think if the Lord— you know, empowers his church, makes his church beautiful. If we love like Jesus, more people get saved, which is true. People get saved. They turn to Jesus, but many get more angry the more the church looks like Jesus, which is what he talked about in Matthew 24. He said, they hated me, they're going to hate you. And and that's the surprise, that the kindest man that ever lived was hated and despised and rejected. And the kindest church that has ever been, to say it like that, is going to be equally despised, because humanity has an accusation against the Lord at the core of their being. And when God shows himself amongst humanity, that accusation becomes more intense. And so I believe that as intense as things are right now, the more beautiful the Church becomes, the more intense the accusation will be. And so that's the kind of the heart of that chapter, is a, is a look at where things are going according to the Lord's leadership from Scripture. Now, David, tell us about the vindication of the name of the Lord. Uh, what does that mean? Well, there, throughout Scripture, the Lord says repeatedly, I'm not doing what I do for your sake. I'm doing it for my name's sake. I'm doing it for the sake of my name. And he says that phrase over and over and over again to explain and, and give context to his leadership. And so if there is, as Scripture talks about, this, this mystery of lawlessness, that Paul talked about in 2 Thessalonians, this accusation against God. Human beings say to God, 
you know, you're this, you're that, you don't care, you don't show up. There's just a, there's a deep accusation against his leadership. And the vindication of his name is when God puts his character on display through his people in a way that vindicates whatever we think about him. If God's going to be hated, he's going to be hated on his terms. In other words, he's going to be hated for who he is and what he really said, not what the human heart wants to project onto him. In our, in our anger and our disappointment and our pain. And so the knowledge of God, it, the glory of God, the knowledge of God, his plan is to fill the earth with it and to take that accusation and answer it with his character expressed through the church. And so, uh, so he's going to do it. He's gonna, it. The way to say it is he's going to clear his name before the human race. Before the Lord's return, his name will be cleared, and his name will be established according to the character that he displayed to Moses in Exodus 34, what he said to Moses in terms of who he is, the God that's slow to anger, rich in mercy and kindness and love, that God and his name given to Moses is going to be how the whole earth understands him. And uh, and again, that's going to be through his character displayed to the church. Now, <clears throat> uh, David Schleicher is our guest. David, the fearless church and the consummation of beauty— Tell us more. Yes, sir. Yeah, that the uh, the future where this is going, and and my confidence is Jesus's prayer in John seventeen. At the end of John seventeen, throughout in verse one till the end of the chapter, he's praying for the church. At the very end of the chapter, his prayer for the church is that the church would stand in the same love that the Father has for the Son, that the Son has for the Father that the love that the Trinitarian God has within himself, that that would be the love that we express and experience that we're filled with. And so that chapter is about the answer to the Lord's prayer and the day in which the Lord delivers his church worldwide from spiritual boredom, from dullness, from passivity. There's a future deliverance of the church from its sluggish spirituality and the church delivered into uh, a fascination with its beauty, a heart alive, uh, persevering, um, engaged. I mean, the transformation of our friendships, the transformation of our marriages. The Lord is going to fill the church with his love. He's called in Revelation 1 the faithful and true witness. And through the church, he's going to give a full witness of who he really is and how he really loves. That's the real key. How does Jesus love people? The church is going to be empowered to love like Jesus does, and it is going to be the clearest witness of the character and person of Jesus in all of church history. So that's the answer to Jesus' prayer in John 17, and that's where Ephesians 4, Paul tells us the church is going. It's going to be a glorious time for believers in the body of Christ. And as uh, as the beauty of the Lord is put on full display. And now, David, <clears throat> the last chapter, the unshakable love of the end time church. Explain that to us. Well, the the that this is the probably the most difficult chapter to talk about because because we're a little naive as to what happens. When the church looks like Jesus. Historically, when believers 
are transformed by grace and look like Jesus, they have a similar end to Jesus and his first coming. In other words, the in the same way that I believe that a global deliverance is coming for the body of Christ, and, uh, a global infusion of the love of Jesus that transforms the church, it, to the same measure, I believe a global cross is coming to the church. In other words, the, to fully bear witness to the beauty of Jesus and to fully bear witness to who he is, it's not just how we live, it's how we die. And so the and so there is a, a future trouble coming for the church right now, just right today, we can see the trouble for the church in the way that the world really despises the church, but that hatred of the church that we see in society, the more we look like Jesus, the more pronounced that hatred is going to become, and and yet the last chapter is a promise of unshakable love. In other words, the scriptures repeatedly tell us that, that this future isn't a future that we're to be afraid of for our children, for their children but that as we prepare them to, to engage with the world and all that the world wants to throw at it and all of the shaking, I believe that the, the church is going to stand in unshakable, unoffendable love. But our, his gift to us in grace is to be unmovable. And uh, one of the really fast, I think the greatest example of that is the story of Betsy and Corey Ten Boom. I love their story because their story is... is they're in the prison camp, and Betsy is bearing witness to the Scripture in a way that's challenging Corey Ten Boom. And she's continually coming back to the Scripture, loving Jesus in a very dark situation. Of course, we know Corey Ten Boom's story after that. She ends up starting a ministry to reach out to former Nazis, to love them and to restore them to the love of Jesus. That grace to love our enemies, I believe that it's available now, but we're going to see it on a global scale, like with Corey Ten Boom in the days to come. We've got one minute left, and I want you to do the conclusion of your book, <clears throat> The Love of the Godhead Fully Expressed by the Church. And it's, uh, it's what I said a moment ago, that, that uh, there's a day coming that the prayer of Jesus in John 17 is going to be answered. But we're not waiting for that day to begin engaging now. He is the God of the day-by-day, moment-by-moment, today we can grow in love, and then suddenly He moves in power, and we're brought into more. But we can engage in faith today to run with passion for Jesus. We can grow in what we need for tomorrow's perseverance today. And I believe that perseverance will be needed in the days to come, but I believe grace to lay hold of it is available right now. My guest has been David Slyker talking about his book, The Triumph of Beauty, God's Radiant Answer for the World's Growing Darkness. We have more, excuse me, right here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. We will be right back. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Now, here's Pat. Our guest in that first segment, David Slyker, Kansas City, talking about his book, The Triumph of Beauty. Well, we stay in the Midwest. Jay Payleitner is in uh, St. Charles, Illinois, suburb of Chicago, and uh, he has put out a really intriguing book. It's called The Next Verse. 
what you never knew about 60 of your favorite Bible passages. Jay, it's nice to catch up with you again, and I hope things are well. Well, Pat, yeah, things are very well, uh, better than I deserve. My wife still loves me. My kids are doing great. i got eight grandkids now. So life keeps going, man, uh, uh, and I'm glad to be on the on the Power Hour with you, my friend. Jay, explain uh, the background of this book, what you never knew <laughs> about 60 of your favorite Bible passages. I'm intrigued with this. Well, I'm going to ask you and maybe all your listeners to think about think about those, those Bible verses that uh, are on your walls, maybe on your coffee mugs or you know, cross-stitch someplace or little wooden plaques on your windowsills. Maybe you got some tattoos uh, of our favorite Bible verse, and uh, we all have uh, some of those short little verses, and, and they inspire us, and, they, and it's great, 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 except uh, my book, and, uh, and uh, I ask you, uh, do you know the next verse? And it kind of stops in your tracks, because, oh, man, I don't know the next verse. And, of course, we need to uh, look at uh, Scripture in context, and that's really the the gist of the book. But, uh, yeah, do you know the next verse? When you, when you see one of these verses, and you might pass it every day, ask yourself, do you know the next verse? Well, Jay, here's, uh, here's an example. Um, uh, Philippians 4.13, you see it everywhere. Inspiring athletes, I can do all things through him <laughs> who gives me strength. And then you say... Did you know the next verse suggests we all chill out and learn the secret to contentment? Where did that come <laughs> well, from? Um, exactly. That, uh, uh, yeah, that verse, uh, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. You have been, Pat, you've been in weight rooms, for sure, uh, where that there's a poster on the wall, or even painted on the wall. Uh, a, a sports team or college will, will put it on the wall, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. And that, of course, is Philippians uh, 4.13, a, a great verse, inspiring verse. Um, uh, in my book, I do 60 different examples, and most of them are the next verse. But this happens to be the previous verse, so let's just go there. Philippians 4.12, <laughs> it's, uh, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And, man, I want to know the secret. I want to know what that secret is, and it spells it out in the next verse. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. So it's, it's this uh, consec- two consecutive verses that, that either explain or contradict or, uh, or challenge you to think in a new way. Um, uh, this whole, uh, if I can't, Pat, uh, this whole idea came to me. Because I, I got a new Bible. Twenty years ago, I got a new Bible, and I happened to be sitting there listening to a preacher, and he, uh, he was preaching on Ephesians uh, 2, 8, and 9. Uh, for it is by grace you have saved through faith, not of yourselves. Uh, it's a gift of God, not by works, so no one can boast. And what a great verse that is. It's about grace. It's good stuff. You can't earn your way to heaven. And then uh, the preacher went on to talk about Ephesians 2, 10, which is, we are God's handiwork created to do good works. So again, that's that, that two consecutive verses that just was kind of mind-blowing in the moment to me. So in my new Bible, I wrote, uh, in, the back pa- in the back page, I wrote, not the whole verse out, just Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, plus 10, 
And then over the next 20 years, I filled that back page in my, my new Bible, now my old Bible, with references to Scripture that, uh, again, consecutive verses, one verse and the next verse, that seem to explain or amuse or contradict or remind. So um, uh, some good, a couple good examples there of, uh, of the next verse. Jay, uh, you open your book, uh, topic one, it's John 3.16. Uh, That's right. And, and tell me about the next verse here. What do you write in that first topic? Well, yeah, and I, uh, I've i read a couple of verses here. I don't even have to read through John 3.16, because we all know it. It's about God's loving the world, sending His Son, and it's about eternal life. And it's just it's just a, a wonderful, and, you, and you've seen it in, in end zones. People hang, put it up, put it up on bed sheets in John 3.16. And, and who knows, uh, uh, Pat, who knows... Uh, how many people have been curious and looked it up, and it changed their life? Because God's word can do that. But um, John three sixteen about about eternal life and love. John, do you know John? The next verse, John three seventeen and eighteen, it talks about condemnation. As a matter of fact, the word condemned is three times in those next verses. Even talking about whoever does not believe stands <laughs> stands condemned already. So uh, uh, proving once again that Jesus is on a rescue mission for us. Uh, but the point here is that John three sixteen, and then you, you move on to the next verse. Suddenly you're reading not about grace, but about judgment. And why is that? Well, you know what? You can't. Ha- the truth is that you can't have one without the other. So uh, that, you're right. That's the first chapter in the book. I just kind of wanted to get that one out there. Um, so that people go, oh, I get it. Uh, we need, I need to be looking at Scripture in context. It was a fun book to write. Now, uh, let's get to the another one. <laughs> Romans 8.28, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. Uh, tell us about that one. Well, um, that you, you, we're flipping through the book here. That happens to actually be the, <laughs> the second chapter. Um and I love that verse. We all do. Uh, Romans 8.28, all things happen for good. Now, the warning there comes, of course, we have to know that before the bad stuff happens. Uh, if you, uh, if, you know, you, you have a friend who goes through some kind of tragedy, and I won't, I won't start listing tragedies because every listener with you, you, every one of your listeners there, but uh, has gone through some things uh, that uh, don't say, oh, you know what, the fact that this terrible thing happened to you God's going to use it for good because that's kind of kind of rude and and uh, and uh, and doesn't uh, and and people are going to quick to ask where's the good, but um, the next verse uh, is all about this idea of uh, that God knows us, He has us, we're even predestined to be to go through things to be formed in His image. Uh, so from Romans twenty eight twenty eight we go to Romans eight twenty nine and thirty, and I'll read it here. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he glorified. So that idea, when bad stuff happens, again, you have to figure this out ahead of time, but you have to hold it in your heart, that when bad stuff happens, that's part of God forming us in the image of his Son. That we are uh, that we are called and justified and, and ultimately glorified. So there's a there's a great purpose to everything that happens to us, uh, and embracing that 
uh, requires you to go from Romans 8.28 to the next verse. Uh, here's another one that I want you to, uh, and I'm, and I'm just, excuse me, I'm just cherry picking them. Uh, Joshua 24, 15, as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. What comes next? Yeah, that is the one that actually, uh, was the final, uh, piece of the puzzle. I said, I have to write this book because, um, I have that on my wall in my house, and I know people who have that on their welcome mat. And it's a wonderful lyrical verse. As for me and my house, as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. And it's just kind of a warm, fuzzy, it's like this, I'm going to do this, and all all is well. Um, People don't even know what this is. Uh, And uh, it's Joshua's farewell. Um, He's 110 years old, and we know Joshua took over for Moses to lead the Israelites into the Promised Land. And uh, here he is at the end of his life. He assembles all the tribes of Israel, probably this massive sea of people in the, in the plains of Shechem. And he reminds them of God's faithfulness over the years. He talks about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and, and the parting of the Red Sea and the time in the desert. And then he says, <laughs> he says, um, all right, over the years we've been kind of worshiping these idols. And he lists a few of them, and then he says, ladies and gentlemen, I'm paraphrasing, uh, Pat, but he says, uh, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Then the very next verse, Joshua 24, 16, the people respond wonderfully. They say, we would never abandon the Lord and serve other gods. But Joshua knows these guys, and then he, so he asks them two more times. He says, okay, there are idols out there. Uh, we're going to worship. We're going to worship God, and they all say again together two more times. No, we will serve the Lord. So Joshua dies a happy man. They bury him, and that's the last chapter of Joshua. Uh, and then, of course, you flip just a couple pages into the next book of the Bible, Judges. And what are those rascally, rascally, rascally Israelites doing? They are worshiping idols again. <laughs> Uh, we kind of knew that was coming. And looking back, we see how they, how God's faithfulness still drags them through that. But here's the point. Uh, anybody who's got that verse, Joshua 24:15, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, uh, that is not just this warm, fuzzy statement. It's a two-part challenge. It's like, okay, what idols do you have in your life that you might be worshiping? And second, are, can you make the statement... Uh, that you will serve the Lord. Can you make that statement uh, and truly believe it? Uh, so that's one of my favorites, Joshua twenty four fifteen. And I think that some of our listeners, your listeners, uh, uh, Pat, will be looking at that a whole different way now. And that's the point of the book. There's six, 60 of these chapters that I got a chance to write that were convicting to me even as I was writing the book. Jay <clears throat> Payleitner is our guest. He's in St. Charles, Illinois. Fascinating mm-hmm. book. The next verse, what you never knew about 60 of your favorite Bible passages. Okay, Jay, uh, John 14, 6. I'm the way, the true, and the life, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Uh, what are you writing here? Well, uh, Jesus uh, says this in response to a question. Uh, we don't think of it that way. We just uh, think that it's a statement. And the question comes from, None other than Thomas. 
we know good old Doubting Thomas. He's the guy who had to, to see the to see and touch the wounds uh, from the nails after uh, Jesus's resurrection. Um, but there's a kind of a, a this is a bookended passage. Uh, uh, John fourteen five right before that is is uh, he says, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Lord, we do not. That's Thomas. We don't know the way. And Jesus answers kind of like mysteriously, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then the next verse, John fourteen seven, is, if you had, if you had really known me, you would know who my Father is. From now on, you do know him, and have seen him. And what a great, uh, uh, you know, three part punch that is. Know Jesus, and you will know God. And Jesus is the only way to heaven. So you put that section together. So you kind of move beyond the, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's a beautiful passage. But you've got to know that it's an answer to a question, and that it is really saying, if you know Jesus, you will know God. <laughs> He's the only way to heaven. Um, uh, again, it's it just it's getting so deeper into Scripture right, than just uh, the surface of these simple verses, a little bit deeper. And I love I love thinking about Thomas because uh, Pat, you know, his name means his name means twin, and there's no other mention of a twin in the Bi- of the Bible of, of Thomas. So I, I always ask myself, who is Thomas's twin? And Pat, it might be me, it might be you, it might be anyone. It might think it's all of us. We mm. are a, a little, kind of a doubting and a healthy little healthy doubt once in a while, don't you think? A little healthy doubt once in a while is a good thing, and we go and turn to Jesus and ask the question, and he'll he'll give us the. Uh, he'll give us the answers. <laughs> My guest is Jay Payleitner. Uh, we're talking about his book, The Next Verse. Uh, speaking of books, my latest book is out. It's called Every Day is Game Day. Mm. I, wrote, I wrote it with my friend Mark Atterbury. It's a 365-day uh, devotional. Every devotion has a sports story, a sports theme, a sports anecdote. And then it leads into the devotional portion. I think you'll enjoy it. It's uh, available now. Go up to Amazon. Uh, Every day is game day. And remember, when you're up there, go get a copy of the next verse. It's going to be well worth your time. We're back with Jay Payleitner right after this on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's AM 990 and FM 101.5, the word in Orlando. Stay with us. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5. The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour. AM 990 and FM 101.5. The Word. Now, here's Pat. Jay Payleitner's book is out. It's called The Next Verse. What you never knew about 60 of your favorite Bible passages. Jay, here's one of my all-time favorite verses. Philippians 4, 8. Uh... Whatsoever is, things are true, whatever is noble, whatever everything is right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy, think about such things. Uh, tell us about Philippians four eight in the next verse. Well, um, that uh, the uh, Philippians four eight is about is about getting your mind right. Yeah. Finally, what brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is pure, lovely, uh, admirable. Uh, excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. It's about getting your mind right. But the next step, step two, 
is described in Philippians 4, 9. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen from me, put it into practice. Uh, and, the, and the God of peace will be with you. So it's that two-step process. Um, a lot of folks stop just getting their mind right. You've got to think on, think on such things that are pure and lovely and admirable. Awesome. That's great. But that, you just sit in the chair there. You're not doing anything. So the benefit and the purpose for getting your mind right is the next verse, Philippians 4.9. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. That's a pretty straightforward kind of thing. It's uh, that whole uh, um, uh, thing that you can't, you almost can't blame. Pat, you know what? Uh, when the uh, Hollywood producers put out some garbage, or when you, there's garbage on your TV or in, in books or, or such, you almost can't blame them because they haven't been setting their mind on things that are true and lovely and pure. But as Christ followers... That's something that we are regularly doing, and so we have the responsibility then to put that into practice. And so that would be the challenge. Uh, uh, this is, uh, again, one, one, just one of the chapters in the book, one of the pairs of, of scriptures, one of the consecutive verses, Philippians 4, 8, and 9, 4, 8, and 4, 9. Um, I would challenge folks to, uh, to read the next verse. Jay, you've got to talk to us about Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, and what you're telling us there. Uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. I'm going to flip right to my book here. That's chapter 26. Trust in and the Lord. That, that is, oh, well, <laughs> uh, right, of course. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him, and he will make your path straight. Well, for sure... Um, there's great enlightenment in that passage, uh, that we, we, need, we have our own understanding, uh, and we need to uh, submit to him. But the next verse uh, is, a double, is a double whammy. It's an extra, extra warning, uh, Proverbs 3, 7, 7 and 8. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil, and this will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Um, it's all about, again, it's a kind of a two-step process. Um, got to trust in the Lord, uh, lean not on our own understandings, and then don't be wise in our own eyes. That, like, that digs a little deeper and uh, talks about how fearing the Lord and shunning evil. Um, it's, uh, uh, that shun evil thing is something that we need to, uh, to double down on. And uh, that's why you can't just, uh, if you just trust in the Lord, you're not going deep enough. You need to need to flee from evil, need to shun evil, need to push it away. And that comes from, uh, uh, that, that's going to keep protect you from Satan. Now, uh, Jay, let's talk about, uh, and, and, <laughs> and this is a little bit humorous, uh, Ecclesiastes 11.1, 1, cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Uh, I've always been confused by that verse. What do you think? Well, th- that was also one that um, uh, that I had some fun with. Uh, you cast your bread upon the waters. Does that that does not mean to- toss your throw your toast out on the on the lake and you get soggy toast. No one <laughs> wants to do that. But, uh, and for you will find it after many days. I don't want to find soggy toast in my lake or in my bathtub, kind of thing. Um, but really, it's about that process of um, of if you cast your bread. 
what will you find? That's a good question to ask. What will you find after many days? And in this case, I skipped down from, um, that's Ecclesiastes 11.1. 1. I, to answer that question, I skipped down a few verses down to Ecclesiastes 11.6, and it is this. Uh, listen, listen uh, all you folks listen to the Power Hour now, listen. In the morning sow your seed, and at, and at evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, whether both alike, or whether both alike will be good. And here's the point there, is that if you, you're going to cast your bread upon the water, you're going to sow your seed, and, uh, and you don't know what's going to come back. It could be uh, the seed you cast there might work, the seed you cast over, over on the other side might be the one that really takes root. So we need to be uh, proactive and, uh, and hold our, our gifts loosely. Uh, uh, you know, if you do something nice for this guy over there, or give this person a few bucks over there, or pray for this person over there, uh, you don't know immediately, you won't, you won't see immediately where that comes back to you. But it will. So uh, uh, you need to keep casting your bread upon the water. What a great image that is of, of being generous with all your gifts, not just cash, but with your love and your attention and your devotion. Um, so as you cast your bread upon the water, some of it will come back. If you catch enough of it, some of it will come back quickly. And you'll go, oh, okay, wow, I, I need to do more of that. Some, some might take a while. Some you might never see until you get to heaven. So uh, the idea of casting your bread upon the water uh, requires you to have patience and perseverance. Um, and then, you know, anything out of Ecclesiastes, you've got you to gotta take, because there's a lot of metaphors in there, uh, and it's a fun book to dive into. But start with uh, Ecclesiastes 11.1, 1, cast your bread upon the water, for you will find it after many days. It might not might not come right away, but we need to keep keep casting it out there. As Pat, you do, I know that you cast your bread upon the water uh, in many different avenues. Jay Payleitner is our guest. Jay, uh, I want you to talk about Romans one sixteen. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. What's the, what's the follow up verse about? Well, uh, uh, again, a great, uh, great uh, one-two punch here. Um, these are a little bit um, uh, not contradictory, but they it kind of goes a different direction. So we are, we are said we are not ashamed of the gospel uh, in Romans one sixteen, and then the very next verse, Romans one seventeen, is <clears throat> for in the gospel the righteous the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness. It is by faith from first to last, just as, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So here's the, here's the point here. Um, Paul uh, makes clear his stance on God's power, and then he communicates that, um, that God reveals his righteousness in, uh, in the gospel. And that's the, that's the righteousness that we need to live by. Um, I dug a little deeper here. Um, and uh, the passage uh, the passage ends with um, a curious kind of restatement of the verse the righteous uh, from Habakkuk the righteous person will live by his faithfulness so that's what we need to do we need to live by live by faithfulness uh, and that's going to be the, the power 
that allows the power of God that brings salvation to everyone we meet. So if we live by faithfulness, that's where the power comes from, uh, from God, that we can uh, share our faith. Otherwise, uh, otherwise uh, we're speaking uh, into uh, the darkness and no one hears. Well, folks, I hope that made sense. <laughs> Jay, it, it's it's wonderful to have visited with you. Let me let me explain uh, the, the book here, folks. Uh, the next verse, what you never knew about sixty of your favorite Bible passages. I guess we uh, hit about seven or eight of them, but there's sixty of them, and each one is is just intriguing. It's fascinating to see what Jay has done, and uh, I've never seen a book like this. It's absolutely wonderful. So make sure you. Uh, pick up a copy. We've got a wrap-up after this, folks, on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. You're plugged in to AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. You need to stay on those dials, I mean, all day, every day, and you'll be better for it. We'll be right back. Stay with us. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Now, here's Pat. Well, folks, we're so glad you joined us here for the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Uh, In the first segment, David Slyker was with us from Kansas City talking about his book, The Triumph of Beauty. And then Jay Payleitner in the Chicago area talking about his intriguing book, uh, The Next Verse. Just a reminder, my friends, we're trying to bring Major League Baseball to Orlando. Orlando's a big market now, ready to become a Major League Baseball city. And you can help. Uh, We need you to go up to the website, orlandodreamers.com. Orlandodreamers.com. And just check in. Uh, Let us hear from you. Uh, Share your thoughts with us. Um, if you're interested in season tickets, if this all works out, well, we, we uh, first come, first served. Uh, so get in on it, orlandodreamers.com. In the meantime, uh, have a wonderful week ahead. We'll see you next weekend for more here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. And again, stay tuned to AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. We'll see you next weekend. God bless. Thank you for joining us for this week's edition of the Pat Williams Power Hour. Join us again next week at this time where faith comes by hearing the new AM 990 and FM 101.5. The Word.